What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush Friday interview edition. And everybody, I just had such a fun conversation with uh, my new pal, Bobby Siegel. Um, Bobby is uh, from England, and he sort of made his name as a contestant on the show University Challenge, which if you are from the UK, you absolutely know what University Challenge is. If you are not, it is a quiz competition between college students that is uh, legendary. It's been around since the 1960s, and uh, Bobby was uh, a very popular contestant on that show. It, it would be the equivalent, like um, someone on uh, Jeopardy here in the states, like a Ken Jennings, maybe um, becoming really, really popular in the cultural zeitgeist. And that's what Bobby did. And he uh, has since pivoted from that to doing uh, to writing books. Uh, he is a teacher and a mathematician. He wrote a book called The Life Changing Magic of Numbers. Uh, we talked to him about math and numbers in this, which is very interesting. And he has done a couple of shows for the BBC with his former University Challenge rival and now friend, um, Eric Monkman. And the shows are called Monkman and Seagull's Genius Guide to Britain and Monkman and Seagull's Genius Adventures. And I think, um, yeah, those are in order uh, 2018 and 2020 of uh, in order of release. And Bobby is just a good guy. He interviewed Josh and I for... Uh, the Stuff You Should Know book event that we did in the UK, uh, virtually, of course. And I'm not sure who lined it up. I guess someone with the publisher over there. And it was just a great fit because for Birds of a Feather, I feel a lot of kinship with him and what he does. 
as far as a spreader of knowledge and curiosity and a um, and an academic and uh, a champion of that stuff. And he's just a good guy. He's so cool and nice and enthusiastic. And you just can't help but smile when you talk to him. And um, so I asked Bobby back then when he interviewed Josh and I to come on Movie Crush in a bit. And here we are about six weeks later. He was able to come on and talk about his pick, a movie called Starter for 10, uh, a movie which covers uh, University Challenge. Uh, A young James McAvoy, a great young cast all the way around uh, as a student who goes away to college, joins the university quiz team. Um, it's got a young Rebecca Hall, a young Benedict, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Alice Eve, uh, Dominic Cooper, a lot of uh, names before they were famous. And it's a coming-of-age story set in the 80s and a, and a rom-com and a romance movie, and it's really, really good, and I hope you watch it. Uh, it is on HBO Max if you want to check it out before you listen. Uh, but we had a great, great talk. Bobby is an awesome dude. And here we go with Bobby Seagull on Starter for 10. How you doing? Yeah, just um, I've been doing, started doing something really fun with them. Um, so in the UK, we've got something called Strictly Come Dancing. It's like dancing with the stars in the US. Uh-huh. So the champion from 2017, she's really trying to get into education. So he's starting Instagram lives with like maths and dance. Um, so it's very oh. surreal because people <laughs> expect university challenge just where i'm from as it were and she's some strictly come dancing to ever collide but it is colliding in the most bizarre way which is great for kids and young people because it's like a yeah it just brings together two things you wouldn't expect well how are you bringing them together like what's the actual thing oh so what we're doing is so we do two sessions a week one is on a saturday we talk about our i essentially i talk to her about experiences with maths and numeracy how she's in daily life then Mm -hmm. i teach her some uh, some math tricks like clever ways of let's say uh, multiplying by nine or multiplying by 11 or dividing by eight so i give her little tips and tricks and then she teaches me like an interpretive dance of that trick oh wow she comes up with this yeah i can't even do she's a dancer she tries to teach that's me that. cool yeah and then on the wednesdays we make it a bit more simpler we set people the task of <clears> learning <throat> a particular times table and it's just like a speed test so people come on the instagram live and then we have a leaderboard um she lost for the first time so she's a bit upset so, <laughs> so she's katia so a lot of people take part and then they uh-huh. join almost like a t- in the uk they have top gear people do race laps. yeah she came second this time which is that's funny man <laughs> well you know you're a uh you're a multi-hyphenate sort of renaissance man you know you've um uh you're a teacher you're an author uh you're on television what is it about doing all these different things that appeals to you rather than just sort of staying in one lane? I think it's my hyperactive mind. How by that? <laughs> I find it hard to focus on one thing. The thing is, I do work hard mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm very diligent, but I find if I'm doing one task for a long period of time, I get distracted. And I think this stems from my childhood of going to the local library. So my dad used to take myself and my younger brothers and one elder brother to the library. And he'd sit us there for three, four hours saying, explore, read anything. And I'd yeah. get a book from the, on the Aztec civilization, on Victorian engineering, <laughs> the fiction of Tolkien. But I would, I would find it hard to sit on one book for more than like half an hour, 45 minutes. I'd be like, ah, two thirds through. I know what's going to happen. Next book. And I think from then my, my mind's always dotted thing is it it's great for dinner parties annoying for things like phd theses when you're meant to be focusing on one right. tiny tiny thing <laughs> well it's interesting because you know you and i'll i record these intros 
separately so people will have a little background on on who you are and how we met but uh you uh you were kind enough to sit with josh and i when uh, we did our our book event for the um for the store there in england and i I think i just felt a real kinship uh we both did because yeah there it is there's the book (laughs) because you uh, that's sort of the nature of our show too to jump around and cover all these different topics and i started diving into your life a little more and uh, what you've done with your former University Challenge uh, rival, uh, Eric Monkman, and saw some of the uh, like TV things that you did and like the Good Morning Britain. And I was like, man, I just, I, I've been there before. Like when Josh and I have done these TV opportunities, it's kind of the smart guys. And you have these two kind of goofy TV people that aren't really taking you seriously. And it's, you just, you guys do a great job at doing that stuff, but I really could identify. Yes, because I often find, um, Less so when I'm by myself, but when we're with the pairing, the Monkman and Seagull, the genius guide branding, as it were, with the BBC, often on TV shows, they're trying to uh, almost show us up. Like, okay, you might know esoteric knowledge about, you know, the top albums of the year or um, the the longest Shakespeare play, but do you know the price of milk? Right. And and the thing is, it annoys them because often I, I like my highbrow knowledge, which is what high school, college trivia is all about learning about your classics, your mythology, right. your science, your literature. But I also like my trash. Like I yeah. love watching <laughs> terrible things on Netflix, rom-coms, really bad, cheesy, 80 pop music. So it means I'm actually like, I am an academic. I'm a very serious academic, but I'm also a silly academic too as well. If, if I can. Yeah. They do the same thing to us, man. What is it? Like we, we go on these shows sometimes and they're just like, okay, smart guys. Like they want to knock us down a peg almost. And it's all in the spirit of fun, but it's annoying. <laughs> and I just have to bite, sort of bite my lips and be polite because I want to be yeah. invited back. So I can't say, sure. why are you trying to embarrass me? I thought you, you don't like dumb people. You don't like smart people. Who do you like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and we'll get to the film, you know, this first part is about your life for a bit, but um, you did pick a movie that had to do with University Challenge, which is, I mean, how long has that show been around? It's it's sort of a cultural phenomenon in the UK, right? Absolutely. So it's I did a bit of Wikipedia or Googling on this, and it's not. I thought it was the. I used to always say before this conversation, it's the oldest running quiz show in the world. It's not. It's actually second. There's something in America called It's Academic, and it's a high school oh. quiz show, and that was 1961, I think. Okay. And this is 1962. So ah. it loses, but it's it's the oldest in the UK. Yeah. And definitely the oldest one beyond high school for quiz shows. Um, and it has only, I think it's one of the unique things. It's only had two presenters in its entire history. One guy called Bamba Gascoigne for 25 years. And he was mm-hmm. quite schoolmasterly, quite supportive uh, for 25 years. Weirdly enough, the show had seven years where it went off screens. Oh, wow. And it got, and it got brought back up. And actually, um, I actually interviewed Stephen Fry, the polymath, for another show. And he was asked to be the host of the new the new version of it but he turned it down uh-huh. and they took on a really tough interviewer called jeremy paxman and he's been the host since 94 and he's he's regarded as like a really mean pantomime villain uh, but he's mellowed a bit in his older years uh-huh. but it's, yeah so it's two years two different hosts um and like in the uk whenever people like i've got cousins who live in america in india the middle east and when they come to the uk i'll say oh let's look at you know the queen um wimbledon um um the beatles University Challenge will eventually be on that list of things that are quintessentially wow. British, I think. It's really cool. I watched um, actually your one of your episodes 
uh, I did quite a bit of YouTubing today and I watched, um, geez, I think it was episode 35. It was one where it was you versus the, the team Monkman, uh, and you guys ended up losing in the end. And, uh, but I watched the whole episode and it was, it's pretty riveting stuff to watch one of those. Oh, it's like, it's because it's, I get it. it is, oh yeah. Well, it, it's sport, isn't it? And it just, yeah. it draws on the audience and people and the way it works is in the UK, they start broadcasting from about July and it goes <laughs> all the way every Monday, eight to eight thirty on BBC all the way through to April. So people start following these mm -hmm. teams and these individuals and people start fo following the personalities. Like in my series, um, people started following, uh, Emmanuel College Cambridge and Seagull the captain and Monkman and Wilson yeah. developed a following and people said could they face off could what if they face off and then by the time our game came round we had personalities like Louis through Stephen Fry all saying are you Monkman are you Seagull right and then the media hyped it up um, and actually it was the most watched match of Universe Challenge this century not you know last century the, I guess television had big audiences in the 70s and 80s the audiences were like outrageous like 10 right. millions but for modern TV it was huge audience um, I think it's the funny thing is that match I had they recorded the semi-final and final on the same morning I was just thinking about the final and I got my outfit ready and I was thinking how am I going to lift the trophy if I get there uh -huh. I slightly lost focus <laughs> on what you're meant to do win the match now wow. and then deal with the final but Eric was like focus he was like I got to win this match then deal with the final later but I was just thinking about the trophy too early on well I mean did I see the final match then oh no this was the thing is even to this day, people often introduce me on telly shows in the UK. They'll say, oh, Bobby Seagull, he must have, he must have won the show because he's made a career out of it. And I know no, I didn't win. Oh, so you're the finalist. No, 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 no. I lost in the semi-final. <laughs> okay, and I think my, I, that's what I saw, I think. The and, semi. and my teammate, he ended up losing in the final, but not, the, the winners were very worthy. And actually, they got some f f formidable quizzes. But people seem to remember uh, that match as the sort of, it wasn't the final. It was the semi-final. But... It was like the memorable match of the series. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, now, do now you and Eric became sort of friends after that and partners, and uh, ended up doing a couple of cool docu series for the BBC. Do, do most University Challenge contestants go on to be celebrities, or did you guys just work it? This is okay. This is unexpected. So. Since 62, the show's been on, there have been personalities that have been former contestants. Uh -huh. Like Stephen Fry, he was a finalist for Queen's College Cambridge. Oh, he was an actual contestant. Yes, he was an actual oh, contestant. Cool. Um, so he did very well, top quizzer, but he built his media career like 10, 15 years after. So yeah. it's almost like an incidental part. Whereas for Eric and I, I think it's a combination of many things. Um, social media had become mm -hmm. really powerful by then. Like I think, Twitter was it 2006? So in theory, Twitter had been there for 10 seasons before, but by our season had built up sort of like a critical mass of interest of followers and the media would pick up on what would go on on Twitter. And then in our series, normally every series is like a standout contestant. And the, the reality is they get 10, 15 minutes of fame on the day of the final. Mm. And they have a couple of nice local, local interviews and that's it. But I think what made our series different was Eric won is Eric was probably the single most memed contestant ever on the series by oh, really? a long country mile. So <laughs> he, by himself, he, you know, he's transformed the way people think of the series, but 
in my series, we all said, again, I'm not going to blow on Trump, but I offered a different sort of personality. Yeah. And I went, I think I went viral as well on my second match. And it was, I remember I was teaching part-time and doing my master's part-time. And I turned the next day at school and my kids were all saying, Mr. Seagull, you're trending number one in UK Twitter. You're on Instagram. <laughs> so I, I, I went viral as well. And yeah. then over the course of the, the months that the matches played out, both of us kept on viraling. And then when we played each other, it was like Twitter and meltdown. They were like doing like, it's like rumble in the jungle with yeah yeah on. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you're it's, it's sort of the classic uh and the same is true for tv and movies like the classic odd couple in a way um he's this uh canadian which i didn't expect when i first started watching the show i kind of just thought everyone would be uh, british or whatever but um you know the, the way just the physical appearance of you two guys together it's kind of a fun juxtaposition and i can see how it became you became this sort of media duo afterward. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. So, and I think one thing people don't realize is that Eric and I actually were friends before recording. Oh, really? Because what happens is in the sort of UK trivia college university scene, uh, teams will get selected. So back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, even early noughties, quizzing is sort of regarded as an amateur gentleman. You sort of turn up, no revision. You just like, effortlessly sort of waft through the questions like, like um, I'm sure Stephen Fry did. But nowadays, partly because of in America, quizzing is very competitive. They've got uh -huh. you get scholarships to the top Ivy League universities. UK is not, UK is still regarded as a bit like of a amateur gentleman, but it's become more professionalized in the sense mm. of teams practice, prepare. Um, and again, we would have weekly practice sessions at Cambridge, you know, Monkman's team, my team playing in mini tournaments. So by the time we went to actually face off on TV, we knew each other really well. And uh -huh. actually Monkman and I, we had multiple face offs in Cambridge. There were times he would win, times my team would win, times his team would storm away, other times my team would run away. So we knew it would be like, it could go on either sort of almost a flip of the coin on that particular day, but we knew each other right. very well before the series, which is why I think yeah. our partnership sort of developed on social media as well. Well, and you were both team captains, which I know is good for drama and press and everything too. Because, uh, and I guess traditionally you sit in that that third spot. Is that where the captain sits? Yes, always. Um, they have the captain there. And interestingly, the the way they pick teammates around the captain is strategic as well. Sometimes you put the solo lone thinker on the far left-hand side. In fact, we've had some of the best ever contestants on the far left yeah. because you almost leave them as like a lone wolf buzzing in, but, right. they don't, they, you, but they don't really get involved in the discussions, but they just buzz in. Uh -huh. And then but often you get the science person on the right-hand side, oh, on the far corner next to the captain because yeah, the science yeah. knowledge is quite niche. He doesn't need, he or she doesn't need to be involved with the rest of the team. And you get the sort of buzz, bubbly person in the middle, maybe, oh, or, or, or sometimes you get someone who might be the opposite gender in the middle to the captain to, to make the team look more diverse. So right, it's like, so all like, a, all yeah. like a formula, you try and work out what's the optimal uh -huh. seating for your team. Well, it seemed like the guy furthest from you, he was kind of, what was his name? So is this, there's two, was this the guy with glasses? Are there two guys with glasses? Blonde hair or dark hair? Blonde hair. Yeah, so he was like our killer. Uh, you could tell that he, yeah, Hill, he was in his own sort of zone. He, I, this is phenomenal. He, I don't think in the entire series, buzzed in incorrectly once. Oh, wow. Once. And this rep is normally, the thing is, in the game, you, you occasionally have got to gamble and take risks. Um, and then you got the team question, the bonuses where in the team bonuses a lot depends on the captain trying to steer the discussion, which I really enjoyed. But Thomas Hill on the far right, he would just sit there quietly, buzz away. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he was a, 
was it was it art historian or historian historian yeah. but I had that breadth of knowledge yeah well it's interesting that it's almost like a, a trope the different um sort of personality types that go into being uh, regarded as like a really smart uh, person and someone who seeks knowledge and i think that uh i mean i think that's one one real reason why you really broke out is because your personality is so infectious and you're so excited and enthusiastic about everything and you kind of break the mold and not to stereotype too much but there are a lot of like sort of quiet bookish types that you can tell are petrified to be on television and you're in there with your suit and you look cool and like you got a great smile and I can see why people like latched on. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, thank you. I think I'd like to sort of think that um, inadvertently I was sort of bringing geek back into Sheik in, in, yeah. in some parts of England because you know, it's all pre-recorded. So they recorded between February to April of a, of a academic year and it's broadcast in July. So people often think that you sort of put on a personality based on how Twitter responds to you. Right. You have no idea because it's all pre-recorded and then it's broadcast. But again, yeah. now I always think now since Monkman and myself, contestants almost go on the show now. So almost a bit unfair on them because now there's expectation. Who's going to be the new Monkman? Who's going to be the new Seagull? <laughs> yeah. But when I went on and Monkman went on, we went on with the objective. We'd love to do well. We'd love to win. And again, I, because I'm a part-time high school teacher, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to bring the trophy back to school? But beyond that, I didn't think, I thought maybe 15 minutes of my local paper. That's it. I didn't right. quite expect any of the, again, I wasn't speaking to you today if it weren't for the, the sort of snowball effect of that uh, series. Well, and you know, you've, I think you're, you really kind of went in uh, sensible directions with it as far as the BBC series looks really cool. I'm, I look forward to watching it. Can we watch that here in the States? Is that available? So it's a BBC iPlayer thing and they haven't, surprisingly, they have not put it out to any of the other like Netflix. There is a, there is a Canadian, I will find a Canadian link uh, okay. which is like a free 30-day trial. And the thing is, people do put it on YouTube, but BBC often like, they'll find it. I'll right. make sure you get a link so you can see okay. it. I'll make sure. <laughs> so Chuck Bryan gets a special link. That's from America. Get on, email the director general of BBC in England and say, why is it not released in the US or Netflix or wherever? Well, I mean, the nature, just for the listeners, uh, the nature of the show, the two series are you and your, like I said, former rival and now friend, Eric Monkman, uh, sort of road tripping around the UK, um, just kind of seeking out cool uh, historical places and and like being fun and also talking about smart stuff. And uh, it seemed to have been very well received. Yes, we've had two series so far. So we filmed the first one um, straight after the summer of University Challenge. So we filmed University Challenge finished 2017. Mm -hmm. We did a pilot that summer and the voice of the pilot was Stephen Fry. This is actually the first time I've ever seen this in public, but I think we couldn't afford him for the real one uh, <laughs> in the BBC. Yeah, maybe yeah. not, maybe they could, but it didn't work <laughs> out. We had, um, oh, what's his name? Oh God, the heroic voice, Simon. Ke Simon Cowell. Callow. Simon, Simon Callow, Callow. Oh, Callow, yeah. Experience. Yeah, so he's like, yeah, not Simon Cowell. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he'd be like, these guys are dreadful, aren't right. they? But, but Simon Callow is weird because he would narrate saying, Bobby and Eric, get out of the car and are off to the Science Museum. And it's just like my life being narrated yeah. in a heroic fashion. And I had, for a few weeks after the show came out, I had friends mocking me. They said, Bobby now going to get right. a cup of tea. Will he put the milk in before the hot water? Who knows? Oh, that's great. That's so funny. That'd be like if like James Earl Jones was walking around narrating my life over here. That's pretty cool. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So let's switch gears to talk about your teaching career. Uh, what grade do you teach and what does teaching mean to you? My, my parents were both teachers. My father was my elementary school principal. My mom was an elementary school teacher. And I, my sister has an education degree. I always kind of thought I was going to be a teacher. And in a weird way, I kind of ended up being a sort of teacher. But um, what does teaching mean to you? So the way I got into teaching is a slightly roundabout way. Um, even though I, I don't think there's such a thing as a born educator, but I've always been someone that's enjoyed sharing ideas with people. Mm-hmm. If I learn something, I want to teach it to someone else. Partly it's because being with a family of, I'm one of four boys, so we're always encouraged to discuss things. But actually, after university, my first career was in investment banking. Again, I'm a new, I'm a maths graduate, maths and econ graduate. Uh-huh. I went to Lehman Brothers, which in, in the UK now, people are not quite Lehman, Lehman. But right. in America, everyone will know Lehman Brothers. I was a trader there. Not a good choice of bank as it turned out. Uh, but yeah, I did this, <laughs> yeah no. bad timing. I joined Lehman, share price went down. Uh, but I did the same job at a Japanese bank called Nomura. Then I moved to PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, in the UK, they call it chartered accountancy. In America, they might call it CPA. Uh-huh. The guys that do the public accounts for all the big corporates. And, right. I, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a corporate guy. This seems like, you know, I quite enjoy it. You make, you know, you, you earn a good salary. But when I was at PwC, and this is all like a pinch point in my life, I took a mini sabbatical to teach new graduates. So these weren't children. Uh-huh. These are 21, 22, 23 year old, um, not kids, but. Uh, 
kids sure. who just left college and I taught them for about a couple of months, two, three months. And I absolutely loved it, Chuck. Yeah. Like, to be honest, I enjoyed my corporate job. A couple of my siblings work in the corporate sector, but I found like I came to life. Yeah. Like, and I thought this is what I've got to do. And then I went to university, back to university again, did my teacher training, my master's at Cambridge. And that's when I did my uh, experience in university challenge and life uh-huh. took a turn. But interesting, my when I joined teaching, when I changed careers, my plan was to be a career full-time teacher because I loved educating. I loved teaching because I think, you know, there's an ad about MasterCard. There are many things MasterCard can buy for other things. What does the ad, what does it say? There are priceless moments. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Yeah. 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 So mine is the the priceless moments that MasterCard can't buy. Uh As a teacher, when you're teaching a child the concept, usually in math, but I, I sort of teach other subjects as well if I can. Um, and you see the, sort of the light bulb switch on. You're like, yeah. they finally get it. And they finally understand in Pythagoras, theorem, you're meant to square root it at the end. They're like, ah. And you're like, yes. You feel that great sense of satisfaction. And teaching offered that to me. Um, and again, I, will I go back into full-time teaching at some stage? Possibly, but I think now my public role in the UK is better served as someone that teaches every week in a school, but mm. spends a lot of time in the public doing work, promoting library usage, right. uh, numeracy, campaigning. Again, I do I a lot of campaigning recently around the digital divide and kids that don't have access to laptops or broadband. So I sort of use my platform um, in a way in which being a teacher, I've got that access. Because if I was a full-time teacher, I wouldn't have time to do the campaigning or the extra work. But if I was just a full-time media personality, as it were, I would lose the sort of authority I have of being a classroom presence. Right. Uh, and what grade are you teaching? Oh, grade, I teach all the way from 7th to 12th. So That's pretty great, pretty, huh? Yeah, so pretty kids are just left... Um, in the UK, is it like middle school, you guys would call it in the States? Yeah, elementary school or middle school into high school. Yeah, and kids all the way to the ones who apply... Uh, to before university or college. And I think, the I love the breath because with young kids who are 11, 12, they've got this sort of blue skies optimism night. So you can just tell them, children, we're going to learn about why the sky is blue. And they're like, yeah, Mr. Seagull. Yeah. We're going to learn now about the number zero. Yeah, Mr. Seagull. They, they, they love it. All the, the kids are the 13, 14. Oh, how they get a bit cynical. At this stage, they're like, right. we're going to learn about uh, irrational numbers. And they're silence. Stone dead yeah. reaction. And I try and like bring my personality like stone dead reaction. When they get a bit older, 16, 17, 18, at that stage, they're thinking about college. And then they start becoming these young adults with, they can challenge you. They can, they can overrule you. They, 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 they're bright young adults. So actually, yeah. it's that variety that I love. That's really cool. It's, uh, I have a daughter who's going on six and it's hard as a parent to, to try and not ram too much down their throat. She's a curious kid, but it's hard. And they are sponges. They can, they can handle a lot of input, but you, I have to regulate myself to not overdo it. And uh, we were in the, the car the other day and I was, she saw a hearse and uh, these new modern hearses just look really cool and interesting over here. And she said, what is that? What kind of car is that? I said, oh, well, you know, that's a hearse and they take care of, uh, it's a very important job. They take care of uh, when people die, they, uh, transport the body to the funeral and it's a very important job and because people are upset and I told her about funeral homes and then that led somehow to a talk about uh, a mountain that she pointed to a hill and I started talking about elevations and then cartography and I said boy I'm really kind of I said let me know if I should slow down kiddo if I'm teaching you too much and she said daddy what would I do without you 
And I was like, man, that that's just like, that's all I need to hear. And then, but that was also her cure, her cue to move on to, to like sing a silly song or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, I think um, parents are, Ah, I always tell as a teacher that obviously as teachers, we obviously have a huge role Monday to Friday in this class, but parents, I think they're still the biggest influence because they're the ones that kids learn subliminally at home over dinner, over watching movies, the little conversations, the holidays. So parents are so crucial. If parents are engaged with their children's learning, as a teacher, it makes my life so much easier. And the ones who are not engaged, it's so hard. Well, you have to be. And I think there's more of that now than ever. I feel like when I was growing up, I'm a bit older than you. And sure, I mean, there were certainly parents back then that were super engaged. But I think a lot of parents just sort of drew that line. And they were like, no, you go to school and that's where you learn the stuff. And then come home and then, you know, stay in your room and play or whatever. (laughs) Parents are way more involved now, I think. Yeah, I think technology also plays a part. Now, there are lots of people posting on Instagram or on TikTok, how they educate their children. So those are like a social media pressure to be good educators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, before we move on to the movie, I also want to talk a little bit about math and numbers. And um, this is something that on Stuff You Should Know has always been a, a, a thing with Josh and I, because neither one of us are very good at math. Josh really tries. Um, I never had much of an interest in math. My brother did. Uh, was an aerospace major for a little while at Georgia Tech and then got out of that, but was always really gifted in math, but I was not. And I just it just never clicked with me. But you love numbers and math so much that you wrote a book about the magic of numbers. And just talk about that. What 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 are people missing out on? Why do you love it? So actually, uh, for me, to tell you how I got into maths is a fascinating little story. So in the UK, um, in the sort of mid-90s, um, it's still popular now, but a lot of boys and girls collected soccer sticker books, uh-huh. football sticker books. So these are wheat things that you'd peel off uh, and stick in. And often in the playgrounds and schools, you try and swap ones that you need. And you might go, got, 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 need. And you get really excited and you do it in yeah. trade. <laughs> and it's not so popular nowadays, but it's still there. They still do the stickers. Panini, I think, is a brand that does it globally. Um, but often boys and girls would have conversations about which players were better than the other. Mm-hmm. And what I found is often it would just be, they would shout loudly, go, uh, you'd ask them, well, why do you think that player's better? Because I said so. And because I'm like, I'm 5'5", five, five, I'm short. And they'd, they'd be taller than me. I'd be like, okay, you're right. And I'd just go in. Uh-huh. What I found is these sticker books were treasure troves of information. Yeah. It contained the names, ages, heights, goal scored, left foot, right yeah. foot, penalties, substitute appearances, all the sort of micro level detail about these players. And bear in mind, this is a sort of early mid nineties. I took all this data from all the 24 teams in the, in the English premier league uh-huh. and input it into an early version of Excel. <laughs> and my, one of my friends made it, this is, this is crazy. I think I was, yeah, again, this is my, I get obsessed by things from time to time. This is my obsession. Uh-huh. It's football stickers and data. Right. And my friend had this conversation saying there's a player called Ian Wright. He's actually quite prominent in the UK now. He's actually a game show host. Now, Ian Wright, a footballer for Arsenal Football Club. Uh-huh. And one of my friends said, a player called Southampton's Matthew Letizia, who also is a television host, is a, he said, Matthew Letizia from Southampton is a better striker than Ian Wright. And I said, why is that? And he said, because it is, because I say so. And then I went, I did a little simple interrogation on my, my database spreadsheet. And I, and I went back the next day and I told my friend, actually, I did a little investigation. If you strip <laughs> out the number of goals for penalties this season, Ian Wright's actually a more effective player in the field. My friend's like, hmm, Bobby, yeah. that's actually, that's a good point. And you know what? It didn't make me popular. 
<laughs> but but it showed me Chuck and my friends the power of numbers because yeah. the world is very subjective. It's often about rhetoric and who's got the best argument, who can flavor it with lovely sort of stylistic flourishes. But numbers, yeah. we can look at it. Okay, now I know with COVID, people can sometimes dress up numbers, but we can look at the same number and agree what we're looking at. Right. And that opened up for me a world where I didn't need to be tall. I didn't need to be stronger. I could just understand, look at the numbers and uh-huh. make the arguments come to life that way. Wow. Uh, and what was the name of, uh, was it uh, The Magic of Numbers? Was that the title of the book? The, li- the Life-Changing Magic of Numbers. Because okay. for me, it's about how numbers are magical, but actually how it can help change your life. Because there are a lot of kids out there who maybe feel a bit withdrawn, isolated from their peers, but they find with math and numbers, mm-hmm. they really get excited. And they should all know that there are, loads of other kids around there across high schools and all the states in the US across the world that have the same passion for them because in sometimes in elementary school and in high school kids can feel oh I don't think there's anyone else like me I right. feel like I'm, I'm one of a kind but actually in the real world there's so many people who've got passions for esoteric hobbies and and uh, fascinations that's amazing man you you are quite an individual like I feel like you've become sort of an ambassador for for knowledge and curiosity and uh it's really a cool lane that you found yourself in, I think. Oh, thank you, Chuck. And I, I sort of like to think in 20 years, who would I like to be? Um, I'm actually getting, I was going to say gray. I am actually getting a few gray hairs. But again, here's another top secret admission. I actually do pluck out the odd white hair. I pluck uh-huh. it out because for now, <laughs> I can, I can do it in a few years. I won't be able to, but for now, so just to keep my, yeah. my black beard and hair look. But well, the person I'd yeah. love to, <laughs> see what I got yeah, going on here. In a few years, a few years. <laughs> but the person I'd love to be is in about 20, 25 years is almost like a version of Stephen Fry because mm-hmm. in the UK, He's regarded as the sort of polymathic ambassador for knowledge. You know, he, he yeah. talks about Greek culture. He can talk about science. He can talk about education. He can talk about politics. And he's got this really beloved role in the UK. Where people see him as a, a voice of authority and a voice of reason. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the things that he's done that I'm actually following in his footsteps, quite almost quite literally, is he's been the champion for UK libraries. Uh-huh. Um, so promoting the role of libraries and the importance of making sure in the UK, libraries have been often had sort of budgets cut and they've yeah. lost them to communities. Same Even here. The main, yes, it's a real tragedy because I think more than just the books, the, these are community centers. Yeah. But Stephen Fry has been campaigning for them. And then the libraries organization heard about the way that I became knowledgeable through libraries. Yeah. Uh, and my weekends there visiting, reading all sorts of books. And they asked me to take on the role from Stephen Fry. So I can quite literally see myself wow. following on the sort of role. And again, my job now is I do a lot of work lobbying parliament, the House of Lords in the UK, organizing petitions, events, trying to get people to use libraries. Um, so yeah, I would love to be someone where where people need like an educational campaign or mm-hmm. supporting something for knowledge, they're like, ah, oh, in 20 years, or not even 20 years, less than that, Bobby Seagull's our guy. That's what I love. That's amazing. Do you have a podcast yet? I have I have one called Maths Appeal. Okay. It's with a um, fellow maths teacher called Susan Okareke. So she's, her parents are Nigerian. She's, in fact, she's raised in East London like I am. So my parents are Indian, but I'm, I'm born and raised in East London. So it's called Maths Appeal. And we're trying to show maths is quite fun and engaging. So it's, it's almost like a, mathematical female version of me as a high school teacher right and sort of and it's funny when we write our scripts for the podcast we always we got a rough idea but we've got this thing called vibing mm-hmm. where we go off script and they're the best bits yeah yeah i know about that <laughs> well we call them tangents where we just start talking about our life or whatever yeah i should use that word because we call it vibing but as mathematicians i should call it tangents 
No, that I'll makes sense, huh? <laughs> I'll, I'll make that next time. I'm going to make it and say, so Susan and I, we're going off for now. We're not vibing. We're going to go off on a tangent. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Maybe we'll start using vibing. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and our listeners, like 95% of the, the people, I think, love the tangents, but we'll hear from people who are like, just stick to the facts, man. We don't want to hear about your life and what you had for breakfast. I, I love those bits, by the way. I love the little... <laughs> I, honestly, when I listen to you, I often listen to it when I'm... Um, pottling around, doing the laundry, uh-huh. making breakfast. I feel like I'm in your with the, I'm in the room with you. It yeah. feels like just, yeah. And I feel, sometimes it feels surreal because I might be like brushing my teeth. I'm like, why is Chuck talking to me now? Right. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to switch Chuck off for a second. So I get, I get that a lot. Yeah, but your podcast goes around with me everywhere. Cool, man. Um, before we jump in real quick, I did want to ask, since I know you're a football fan, uh, West Ham fan, that's how we first um, sort of bonded. I saw your West Ham jersey and my best friend grew up in Chiswick and is a West Ham guy from from way back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, have you seen Ted Lasso, the TV show? Do you know about it? Oh my, why have I not heard of this? Can I can I Google this right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's on, it's an Apple Plus, uh, like an original Apple TV production. And it's Jason Sudeikis, is a, he, was a, he was on Saturday Night Live here. And he plays an American football coach who goes to England to coach in the Premier League because the wife of the uh, the former owner is getting a divorce and she wants and he loves the football team and he she wants to wreck the football team so she hires an American football coach to come in there and you know ostensibly do a really poor job but it turns out he's a really great coach he doesn't know soccer but he's a good motivator and it's just it's one of the most heartwarming fun shows and it's it was shot in london it's shot in some of the real stadiums it's about uh the premier league it's about darts it's about you know ted lasso t-e-d-l-a-s-s-o that's his name how have i never heard of you should check it out it's a really fun show (laughs) it's good (laughs) my first article ted lasso is the perfect apple tv plus show yeah it's it's a lot of fun especially if you're a premier league fan oh my god yeah in fact like um one reason why i'd love to work in the states at some stages i love soccer men's soccer men's football so i got again as a child in fact there are boys from my elementary and secondary school that ended up being professionals. So I've got some a very strange story where I'm someone that's played against Prince Harry and English for England international footballers. Uh-huh. Weird. <laughs> so yeah, I was in a state school in East London, like a public school. Yeah. And I got a scholarship to Eton College for my A levels. Oh, in cool. England we call it public school. So your public schools are private school. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I played against both. But um in so obviously men's football is what I initially followed, but in the last few months I started getting into women's football uh-huh. like big time, and I and actually I'm sort of jealous because I've watched games in England. The it's called the Women's Super League. It's like Premier League equivalent, but I watch equivalent games in the US. Yeah, the stadiums are packed out for women's games. I'm like, yeah, I'm so it's, a big, it's a big thing here. But I th- I think the UK will follow. I think we'll follow that in the next 10, 20 years. Women's games will get packed out because it's a sport that's professional. Only in the last couple of years, it's become a professional top league. So yeah. eventually, we'll see. And one day, we'll beat the US. We lost to the US in the uh, women's um, soccer World Cup semi final, two one. We had a penalty to bring it back. So maybe the next time, England will defeat the <laughs> Americans. Well, that is interesting here because the women's uh, US national team has been good for a while now, and the men's team has always been crap. And, you know, it, it, it's, I, I think the following is probably, uh, it feels like it's bigger, and this is just anecdotal, it feels like the women's uh, national team is bigger here. But, you know, soccer's, it's a big deal here now. Like, uh, it's really, 
like most of my friends are all their kids play soccer and it's um you know uh, uh during like the the euro cup and the uh premier league finals and certainly the world cup there are local bars here that are just packed out you know people on the you know standing room only people on the street watching the big screens and it's 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 a lot of fun i mean that's when i watch is generally I don't follow Premier League much, but I, I do follow the World Cup and uh, and the FA Cup and stuff like that a little bit. So when you're in the UK, I'll, I'll take you to your first Premier League game. Oh, dude, I'm all over it. I want my buddy Justin Hill have to come. If we go see West Ham, that is. <laughs> all right. So you picked the movie Starter for 10, uh, a movie I had not heard of that is uh, from 2006. It's kind of a coming of age um, comedy drama slash it's almost like a sports film in some ways too. It's got a a little Rocky karate kid element to it. Um, And it is a movie that had a, I mean, I think it's kind of known now as being the small indie film who had a huge cast of future stars in it um, who were all sort of getting started uh, at the time, I think. Yeah. It's crazy because when it came out in 2006 and I saw it, the couple of names that I, I, I recognize, um, like Mark Gattis was somewhere there or thereabouts. Um, Charles Dance was around. But people like um, uh, uh, James McAvoy, Benedict uh-huh. Cumberbatch, James Corden, you know, who they weren't named at the time. I was seeing. Yeah. And then some of them have gone on to, yeah, James Corden now is huge in the US. Um, I didn't even recognize him in this movie, actually. Oh my God, it's great because he came, he came from something called Gavin and Stacey, which uh-huh. is a larger than life character, quite literally larger than life. And watching, if people want to see James Corden before he became James Corden, this is the film to see. Because totally. It, 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 I watched it again recently, the film, and I was thinking of my cousin, that is not James Corden. How yeah. is that James Corden? <laughs> well, I knew he was in it. And about halfway through, I was like, when is James Corden going to show up? And then in the scene where he goes back to his hometown, I was like, oh my God, that's him. He's the sort of metal, long-haired metalhead. <laughs> Oh God, it was a, but even in this film, like other, like I always think the directors or the casting directors were playing a bit of games because um, they had like a Sherlock connection because Benedict Cumberbatch ends up becoming Sherlock. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Mark Gattis, who's the character that plays the quiz master, Uh um, he's Mycroft in the Sherlock Holmes. And also the mother, the mother of the posh girl, Uh uh, Alice, she's a character in Sherlock, I think Lady Smallwood. So they got three people oh, wow. reunited later in Sherlock. So all, I don't know whether it's the Sherlock host having watched the show thinking, oh, these are some characters I could cast, or is this a total coincidence? Well, I mean, it was great casting. Also has uh, Alice Eve, who went on to do a lot of things. Rebecca Hall, uh, who is great. I've always had the biggest crush on Rebecca Hall. Oh, same here. Can I admit that publicly? I think we all can <laughs> admit that. She's very, yeah, she's very crushable. Uh, and uh, Dominic Cooper, um, all these young faces, Benedict Cumberbatch is, has a sort of a small part. I mean, he's certainly not the lead at all, but he's very funny in this movie, which is something you don't see a lot out of him. I guess he's kind of funny as Doctor Strange with his one-liners, but uh, there are a couple of like physical comedy bits in this with him that are really funny. When I first, when I first sort of saw Benedict Cumberbatch in this film, again, with the name nowadays, it's hard to know because... In my mind, I'm, I'm sort of applying my 2020 mind going, oh, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be this great actor. But in that film, he's like this upper class, almost like a twit. Yeah. Like, very pretentious, very snobby, looks down on people. Uh, but again, he's got this weird, it's got this weird sort of vulnerability to him as well. Uh, because yeah. he, he loves knowledge and he, wa- he wants to be praised. He wants people to love him for his knowledge. 
Um, and I think he played it really well because he, he combined a sort of brashness of a public school. Actually, you'd call it private school, but in England, we call it public school. Right. Public school boy. <laughs> but at the same time, he's got this vulnerability of someone that's maybe been a bit bullied throughout his life as well. Yeah. Um, and it's also a story too, which is one of my favorite kind of um, themes in a movie is uh, Goodwill Hunting had this a little bit where you have the, the really smart guy from kind of the working class um, section of, of England. And he's, uh, he's got these friends that, that he can either let sort of drag him back and hold him back with them. Uh, or he can break away and do the hard thing. And, you know, it's sort of sad, but sometimes you need to sort of, sort of lop it off and have that separation. If you really want to go on and achieve something in life and leave that, those guys behind, uh, kind of like in Goodwill hunting. And you really, you really root for, uh, for Brian in this movie to do that. Like, you know, those guys aren't going to lead him anywhere good, you know? Yeah. Because again, at the start of the film, just before he heads off to university, we see uh, Brian James McAvoy's character hanging out with um, Dominic Cooper, Spencer and mm -hmm. uh, James Corden. Yeah. You can see that the other, again, it is James Corden. Trust me. It's the early <laughs> scene. You're going, it's not James Corden. They're lying. They're lying. No, it is James Corden. But um, you see them and you think, okay, um, James McVoy's character, Brian, you can sense there's like a knowledge and there's a passion for learning, which yeah. friends don't have. And actually, it's interesting that this film is set in the 80s. And in the UK, when we start, it's sort of been forgotten a bit now, but the 80s was a very challenging time for the UK. Uh -huh. Economically difficult. They had Margaret Thatcher, yeah. who was a very polarizing, um, opinionated prime minister in terms of people's perception of her. Some people love her, some people hate her. Right. Um, so this film is almost like a commentary on social change in the UK because we're seeing these mingling of classes uh -huh. at universities, the Brian Jackson's very working class. In fact, he, in the film he's from a place called South End, which is in Essex, which is like proper like east of East London, isn't it? Like Essex. Right. <laughs> Essex eh? Yeah. <laughs> like Mary Poppins, you know, like Dick Van Dyke. Right. A bit like that. More exaggerated. Uh -huh. And then you got the yeah, his one of his romantic interests as he's like oh hello how do you do and and the captain so it's like yeah we see this clash of cultures yeah in this film yeah and it was also a time where um and i think they portray it pretty well is in the 80s when um sort of the student activists were really starting to get much more involved i think that happened a lot in the 60s and it seemed to kind of go away a bit in the 70s and then in the 80s with uh nuclear disarmament and greenpeace and all these like great new causes uh, and Rebecca Hall is obviously the character that's, you know, socialist, Jewish student activist. And it's it just it really reminded me. Um, I started college in 1989, so it was a little bit after this. But that time when you go off to school and you're on your own for your first time and you're and especially I was a little sheltered, I guess, from the suburbs of Atlanta. But to see all these people involved in doing these things that I had never heard of and your mind is just exploding with not only stuff you're learning in class, but just socially uh, being aware of everything. And it's just such a rich sort of exuberant time. And I think he really captures that well in this film. Yeah, because again, if you look at many reviews of this film, they often talk about being a, a coming of age film. It is, it is ultimately a film about a boy that's leaving his sort of working class roots and trying mm -hmm. to find his way in the world. And he's experiencing all the sort of turbulent emotions a teenager that's moving from being a adolescent to a young man yeah his, you know his first maybe his love his 
kiss and first relationship, all these things coming together in a new environment. Um, and you're kind of rooting for this guy. You're like, come on, you, you, really, totally. want to, you really want him to do well. Yeah, and you know he's going to mess up, and he does mess up kind of constantly throughout the movie. Uh, and I think it's just identifiable as a character. I think so many of us have been there to where you're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I mean, you're just figuring out life and, and who you are at that point. That's really where I think people begin that journey of self-discovery. Yeah. And again, I, I would like to think, if, how would this film have been if they made it in the 2020s? Because back yeah. then when Brian was going to university, even the way he finds out about the, the trials for the university challenge team is a little poster uh-huh. on the wall. Whereas nowadays, kids, kids, college kids might find it on uh, an Instagram story right. or a TikTok story that the students' union posts. So yeah. how I was I'm intrigued to think, how would a Brian Jackson be now in 2021, 2022, right. <laughs> rather than in the 1980s? Because the same kind of working class, how would they interact with this environment? Yeah. I mean, cell phones kind of screwed it all up, smartphones, you know? It's fun to go back and see these movies from the era where everyone was engaged with one another and uh, no one's just, you know, it's disappointing to see crowds of kids today sitting around staring at phones, you know? It's tough. And I'm sure as a teacher, you battle that. Yeah, that's your things. There are times when we tell kids to use their cell phones for activities, like if they're doing an interactive task, but then there are times where kids on their lap you can see their their face slightly lit up and like, I got you, I got you. And you walk around them, you stand behind their shoulders, they stand behind like a pantomime villain. Uh-huh. And you're like, <laughs> everyone's like, Mr. Seagull's there. Right. And like, I got you, get your book out, detention tonight. Yeah, yeah. Because they're so absorbed in the phone, they don't even know you're behind them. No, they, and they don't fine. care because as long as they got the phone. <laughs> um, it is also a love story, uh, like you said, and it's, uh, sort of the classic movie love story where you have these two people um, to choose from. And he's, you know, one is sort of like, I guess, the more traditionally beautiful um, uh, Alice Eve that's on his uh, quiz team. And then you have Rebecca Hall, like I said, the socially conscious, admits she's never had many boyfriends and is sort of focused on her her social activism and schoolwork. But you, you sort of know, I mean, it's how these movies go. And that's what we love about movies. Like, you know who he's going to end up with but I think that stuff doesn't matter when it's well done. Like it's the journey that is so enjoyable. Yeah. And I think these two characters, they play it so well because you've got, they they do seem like polar opposites. Um, And Brian, when he first enters and he sees, interestingly, I I read the book, the book is slightly different. Uh Um, uh, They, they, he meets the characters earlier on, but in the film, there's like this classic scene where Alice enters the examination room and Brian just suddenly stops dead and sees her like flashing a sort of part, brushing her hair, walking through the room. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, you know, he's going to fall in love with this girl. Sure. Of course. Um, but we're still, again, I was rooting for Rebecca. Yeah. Uh, thinking, okay, Alice is there, but I, I felt like the thing is Alice did have this, while she was a sort of posh blonde, um, uh, upper middle class character, she did still have likability about her. She wasn't like a mean, yeah. a mean girls type character. Yeah, and I think that was um, that's what you see a lot in movies is that sort of um, tropey character where she is uh, just beautiful but but kind of snotty and snobbish, and she really kind of stays in the running, as it were. I think as a as a viewer, um, they don't tip the hat too early uh, until you know until she betrays him at the end, uh, and even then she's not seen as a super villainous type of character, more like 
her true colors just kind of came out and she's really not right for him when she when she sleeps with uh, Spencer. Yeah, I think it's quite, uh, it's more, it gives us a more nuanced rather than black and white um, approach to life, which is the reality of how many people's college experience will be. You know, you might like a girl, she turns you down, but then she's not going to be some evil mastermind planning, ah, I'm going to dump you in front of the whole campus and put a poster of you crying yeah. at the breakup. No, that, that's, you know, that's, that's exaggerated. In real life, it's more like, ah, it didn't quite work out. There was someone else more suited to him. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's a fair depiction of maybe real life rather than... Yeah, I could have seen it going a little more in the other direction. I think if it were a Hollywood film, it probably would have been uh, studio interference would have gotten involved and made it a bit more, I don't know, just extreme with all that stuff. But I thought I thought they played it out in a pretty nice, subtle way uh, in this movie. Very deftly well done, I think. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The soundtrack we should talk about a little bit. I love the soundtrack. Oh, it's so good. I mean, that's my era, man. I, I grew up in high school listening to The Cure and The Smiths and uh, Joy Division and uh, just sort of everything. Echo and the Bunnymen. And uh, there's a lot of Cure uh, in this so movie. So much Cure. So yeah. Much. If you don't like The Cure, can you watch this film? <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Who doesn't like The Cure, though? My uh, God. The thing is, the, this film actually got me into 80s music. Oh, much really? Later. The thing is, my elder brother, we live things like Michael Jackson, uh-huh. Bros, 
Was Bross. Bross, maybe Bross is a very British the thing is Bross for a while were huge they were like second to Michael Jackson for like a week in the world and then they oh, disappeared wow. but they were a big big deal in the UK okay. um, so we had a few bands in the 80s 80s 90s but I only got into 80s music I think through watching this film because oh, wow. I heard the soundtrack The Cure The Smiths uh, undertones and I thought Kate Bush I thought wow this is great music and when it kicks off the the, the opening song is um, Ace of Spades the, the yeah, Motorhead song Ace of yeah. Spades and when it kicks off with that you're like oh, that sets the tone you're, you're, you get that nostalgic feel uh-huh. even if you're not from the 80s you're yeah. like yeah we're in the 80s it's going to be set there <laughs> actually one, one thing about this, the, um, the soundtrack I think they used it in a uh, spoof called have you heard of the young ones before oh sure i love the young ones yeah so uh-huh. the young ones have a spoof of the university challenge and it's called bambi i and remember that funny, yeah and yeah. it's like it's probably one of the to be honest i think that scene from the spoof young ones is actually more famous than the show itself oh yeah uh, <laughs> because they have like stephen fry hugh laurie from house emma thompson so people that go on to become mega stars in their own yeah. lives um, in that and I think that scene that episode actually starts off with the Motorhead song as well so it's like, oh, really? it like a 360 for the right. Motorhead and Ace of Spades <laughs> yeah that probably was no accident um, the scene where I want to talk about where he's he finally is hanging out I guess on New Year's Eve with uh, Rebecca and by the way I thought you know their real names are Rebecca and Alice as their character names and I thought sometimes you do that uh, but I found out in the book that was their name so it was just coincidence of casting i guess yeah but um he he goes and spends sort of a um a disastrous new year's eve with alice at his her parents uh, cottage in suffolk and um he comes back he ends up spending new year's eve with rebecca and they're drinking a little bit and you can see where it's headed and they finally have that first kiss and you're like yes this is it this is it and he calls her alice and it's just like Oh, I didn't see it coming. And it was just, I felt sick to my stomach <laughs> after I, after I saw that. Oh, so, so did I, because I generally thought, oh, okay, so now uh, Alice is out of the picture. He's found Rebecca. Rebecca, that's, that's the true, that's the real deep yeah. connection. It's all working New Year's Eve. And then when he does that, like, I know you feel so sorry because you know that his mind is with Rebecca, but he's a little, literally a slip of the tongue, maybe a bit drunk. He didn't yeah. mean it. And, you can't come back from that, though. Oh, bro, I feel At like Rebecca. At least not then. Oh, oh, but yeah, I was like Rebecca. Like he didn't mean it. Why do you have to? I know. Up? Rebecca, come on. He wants you. Like you're made for each other. Don't leave him now. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny how wrapped up you get in it too. Because I was like, no, 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 don't stop. It was just a mistake. <laughs> um, and you know, he sees Alice, and he goes and tells her he loves her. And this is after uh, Spencer comes to visit uh, when he's hiding in the closet. But you don't even believe that. He means it, you know, he doesn't even know what he wants. He's just sort of that kid that's just sort of trying to be in love with anybody. It seems like. Yeah. I think he's just, he's just going with the sort of the, the waves. He feels like, Oh, Rebecca's turning me down. I need to go to the person that I think loves me. Yeah. And, and maybe at this stage, he doesn't even know what love is, his lust for this character, Alice. Um, and I was sort of glad that Spencer was there doing the dirty behind his back because yeah, it was great. He gave him this clean break. He knows totally. that Alice is not into him. It was good. He can move on. He can move on. Yeah. And that, that visit by Spencer is just, um, it's a disaster too. And you know, when he shows up, it's like, Oh great. My old friend from back home is here, but it's that whole thing with the social class and the, the university student uh, versus the guy that's, you know, just from the working class. And you know, it's not going to go well. 
and it doesn't, but it does end up in one of the funniest fights in movie history, I think, with he and Benedict Cumberbatch at the party. One of the funniest fight scenes. <laughs> it's like Benedict Cumberbatch does this sort of like kung fu panda, like, what is that? like a cartoon, like what's like a Sylvester so cartoon character, like oh, 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 oh. This is very <laughs> funny. And then he gets cold cocked and does that kind of uh, slapsticky turn to camera when he gets knocked out. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, it's um, it was a mismatch, mismatch there. Uh, and it, you know, it sets up that third act so well. I think when you you know it culminates in that. You know, it could be the big soccer match or the big uh, fight boxing match or whatever. Uh, and in this case, it's University Challenge. And I'm curious for someone who's been on the show, like, first of all, when did you watch this movie? Did you watch it back then in 2006? I it, I, I, not as early as 2006. A few, I think a few years later, but well before I went on oh, really? the show. Yeah, well before. Okay, so you saw this before you went on. Watching it now after you've been on, what is it? conjure up for you i mean how real is it oh it, thing is it's actually a very good depiction so the author um david nichols uh -huh. um so i had a little moment last week a couple of weeks ago where i had a, a starstruck because i did a tweet about saying oh i'm gonna watch starter for 10 again uh because i'm gonna have a podcast chat with you about it uh -huh. and then david nichols replied back to me saying oh, oh no way I, you're an, you're an icon of the show what, a, what an honor for him oh cool um, so, so i feel i feel i feel like i was starstruck that moment uh, you'll have David to tweet Nichols. this out to him once uh, we oh, release it yeah, yeah he'll be he'll be he'll be thrilled so david nichols thank you for writing a book that probably inspired many people to get into quizzing and yeah. the game show because it sort of immortalizes the show it's part of the, it's part of the, the folklore in the uk and when i saw the film again i watched it before but once it, once i've seen it since it's a brilliant depiction of the nerves mm -hmm. the sort of the teams are, you know teams can it's the production crew is wonderful but yeah. teams can get a bit like competitive with each other wanting to outdo each other the the tensions between the teams individually even between teams does exist yeah. um but i tell you what the questions on the 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 book and the film Mm -hmm. brilliant and there's one thing that got edited out from my actual episode which i feel sad in one of my earlier matches possibly a quarter final second round we had a question that asked us about um uh, aeschylus and i was like i know this this is on television i said this is from the, the oris day and i got i know this because i saw this on startup for 10 so i got a question by on wow. the actual tv show <laughs> because of startup for 10 and i referenced startup for 10 on the show itself but the people who edited the show, they edited it out because they thought it's too much of a cross-reference. But yeah. tragedy, so I learned something which oh, I that's funny. in the game show. <laughs> well, was he was the author on uh, University Challenge or not? No, so he was at Bristol University, uh -huh. um, So which is why he set the characters. He may have even been at Bristol at the time University Challenge was off air. So it was off air from 87 to 94. And in the UK, they call this the lost generation of quizzes. Why so was it off? Oh, the ratings. So 62, back when there's only literally BBC One and BBC Two, uh -huh. uh, the audiences are like 20, 25 and huge. Literally like everyone in the country would watch it. Yeah. And over time, slowly the audience dipped, went to like 15, 18 million, picked up again in the early 80s. And in fact, in the early 80s, they even tried experimenting where they had a method called pass the baton where you'd answer one question, then your teammate answers one, then your next teammate. And it was, oh. they're, they're trying to bring a bit of pizzazz and glamour. Yeah, yeah. Work out. Audience has dropped off. In 87, it got cut quite 
quite sadly, and then it, and it disappeared. And then seven years later, people said we should bring it back. And again, mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things of the show is that even if you watch again the game show on a Monday night and you watch the old version '62, it's pretty much the same format. Yeah. Ten points for a starter question, five points for bonuses, five points negative if you interrupt. This music, picture, starter, twenty-eight minute game show. Yeah, it's pretty much the same format. They've not tinkered with it, which is why I think people love it. Totally. In, in particular, you know, when the world changes so much, universe changes that sort of constant presence. And actually, like I, I sort of put it out there before a few times, I'll put it out there again. So Bamba has been hosting the show since eighty-two to eighty-seven, twenty-five years. Then Paxman took over ninety-four to 2021, 27 years. So he's now got the record. He's not looking tired, but he's like, I think he's had enough. When he does, (laughs) when he does retire, I've been publicly saying this on social media a lot, but I'm putting my name in there. Oh yeah. But the thing is, a lot of people think I'm too, I'm not mean enough to be the host, which is true. I couldn't be like Paxman. Yeah. But Bamba Gascoigne, like the the guy on the the, the film, Mark Gattis' character, was a bit more gentle yeah. Or supportive. He's like a schoolmaster. And I think I would bring back that vibe of supporting rather than Paxman's role has been like a almost like a pantomime villain, like, no, terrible. You're you're that's a stupid answer. I think that they I think going in your direction would be a brilliant move. And I think that would be kind of a fun thing. Uh I would love to see that happen. Good luck. I'll put in a word for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna send this podcast to the producers. Like, look. It's yeah, it's there. It's there on audio now. <laughs> well, I mean, here in the states, you know, Jeopardy is such a big thing as far as this kind of thing goes, and you know, Alex Trebek passed away, and there's been a lot of speculation about who was going to take over. And Ken Jennings, former uh, like most successful contestant of all time, is doing one of the temporary guest hosting duties right now. And it, I think the choice is like, do you go with someone like Ken, or do you go with uh, someone who's not affiliated with the show that's just a TV personality? That's interesting. I think having someone, a former contestant, would be the way to go. Who understands, loves the show, that the audience is familiar with. Of yeah. I'm sort of backing myself here, but <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be either myself or Mr. Monkman, one of us two. Well, when is he, is he finished? Is he retiring? For sure? I think he slowly retired his sort of media portfolio duties because in the UK, most people, obviously not for University Challenge, but in the 90s and noughties, he used to be the host of Newsnight on BBC. Mm-hmm. And, this was the, and he was renowned as the toughest political interviewer. So uh-huh. politicians wanted to show that they could handle sort of the, the furnace of political debate. They would go on a right. show. And he, there's a famous incident where a man called Michael Howard, who at one stage was the leader of the opposition party, and Paxman asked him the same question like 20 times. And he asked him, can you, can you repeat that? Can you repeat that? Uh-huh. And the guy didn't, the guy just, in the end, it's like one of Paxman's most fierce moments. Wow. So Paxman eventually stepped down from that. So slowly reducing his, he used to like present lots of documentaries. So right. This is the last thing. To be honest, the reason why I think he wouldn't want to give it up is this is like, it keeps him on telly for 38 weeks a year. It pays, right. it pays the pays the, the bills. Sure. Uh, so it's a great job, but if Paxman's ever thinking of stepping down, I would look after it, sir. I would yeah, look after Yeah, you would do a great job. <laughs> so in the film, you know, it, it, uh, in the final match, there is that moment that um, where he finds the questions. Uh, I, as an audience member, I was mad that they weren't taking better care. I was mad that he was in that position to where he would just stumble upon the questions for the show. I'm like, no, man, you got to have that stuff locked away you can't even leave it out like that and he looks at the one question is all and he messes up so bad by well by looking at it he shouldn't have looked um but he only looked at one question he he's not a cheater and i feel like he was labeled a cheater unfairly 
you know? Oh no, but this is this is a heart like I was trying to think the heartbreaking moments. This film does have a little bit of a roller yeah, coaster. Like for sure. one of the one of them was when uh the Rebecca moment we talked about at New Year's Eve. Yeah. And this is the one where I thought like, yes, he's going to win it. He's going to, he's going to, it's going to be the, the film's going to end on a positive note. And you know, that's what you think is coming. Yeah. And then the question comes out astronomy. Then he buzzes in before the questions come out and says, what is it? Uh, uh, Big Dipper, Ursa Major. And reads the whole answer. Oh man. But he's known this his whole life because he loves astronomy. And you, you just, you feel terrible for him. And I, I do blame the production crew in the totally. film. Totally. Why do you leave this? Like, again, I've been on the real show. They guard it with their life. They oh, hold I'm sure. It. It's, it's rubber banded up. And he left it there. Was it? Yes, it was the, the, the walker, the runner with uh, the host. Left it uh-huh. there. So I blame him. Don't blame uh, James McAvoy. Yeah. Him because he, and he didn't even look at any of the other answers. He's, and he's, he knew the answer to this one too. It was just, oh. it was heartbreaking, man. Because you're so, like you said, you're so set up for this heroic finish. And Rebecca Hall's going to run up on stage and, they're going to get married and lift the trophy. And uh, man, it's just, uh, it's really a gut punch at the end when he gets um, sort of, and I hate to say found out as a cheater, but I think unfairly tagged as a cheater. Um, but it it does lead to one of the funniest moments in the movie is when they lead him out of the studio into the street and he has to get into the ice cream truck. Oh God, Dez, yes. So Dez is the- Dez's uh, truck. The, the, the man that his mother, Catherine Tate's also quite a huge- sort of comic figure in the UK and uh, oh, really? the mother's married to this character and you see like Rebecca wanting to sort of wave by uh-huh. the ice cream van <laughs> and you're like oh dear yeah he just that's he's, that, that's that's the, the 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 absolute low and actually that would have been the final so in the UK one thing that they didn't show in the game show because it didn't get to the stage of the trophy but they normally get a um, eminent academic or personality to, to award the trophy mm-hmm. so, so in my season Again, this is another reason why I'm gutted I didn't get to the final. They had the probably probably one of the most iconic moments ever of University Challenge. In my year, the trophy was awarded by Stephen Hawking. No way. They they did it. In fact, they did it three months later in Cambridge in his like academics um, lounge, as it were. Uh-huh. Stephen Hawking and and Twitter melted down. Uh, like, it was it was the most iconic series ever of Universe Challenge. Were you Seagull, just like crying? Monkman, <laughs> and then I was like, and there's Stephen Fry, there's Stephen Hawking, and you know he passed away a couple of years later. So it's like, like Stephen Hawking actually mm-hmm. giving the trophy, and I was like, that could have been me. Yeah. And, like and Eric sometimes I, when I Skype him, I see the back of his room. Um, I don't think he didn't win it, but he still got like award, like a runners-up equivalent. Mm-hmm. He's uh, got a picture with Stephen Hawking with the Universe Challenge, and I'm like, no, that should have been me. <laughs> oh, no. I'm I looking you, at Eric, that blank but... wall behind you. It's so sad. I, know, I, know. I love Eric, but I, I really should have been in that final. <laughs> oh man, that's terrible. Um, so you know they don't show much of the fallout. I think it was interesting. It was a, a tight movie at about 90 minutes. Um, yeah, it could have been longer. I feel like. And not, I think it would have been okay to have a little bit more, but it was it was a lean movie. Like they didn't show any of the fallout from this little scandal. They they didn't show him arguing his case or uh, them even accusing him. It really they kind of just I don't know if they shot that stuff and cut it out, but they really just go from him being found out to him leaving in that truck. And it was a really smart move, I think, as far as a, a filmmaking move goes, because you're left to sort of piece it together. Although as a as an audience member, you want to sort of have him fight for himself and say, I knew the answer anyway, and I just saw it, and it's your fault. You shouldn't have left it out. But it leaves the audience to sort of do that themselves, which has a lot of impact, I think. Yeah, I think it means that also when you 
finish watching it either on your streaming or on the cinema wherever it is you can have that discussion with the person you've been watching like oh you know do you, how do you reckon that happened do you reckon that he went and confessed do you reckon they they sort of resolved it did they find out who messed up at the studio right. and you have that discussion at home so actually it is a very smart move by the by the production and the direction of the I think so movie. yeah uh, and then you know you got the two things sort of lingering out there to, that you have to tie up those loose ends with Spencer and whoever he's going to go back and and you know professes love to and uh you know you know where it's going but that's why we love movies because of these moments where everything's okay with Spencer you want him to be okay you want him to meet Brian up here rather than him dragging Brian down and you get the without it being too sugar-coated you get the sense that there is some hope there that that might happen yeah, and I think, again, that maybe a bit of commentary on the 80s, how, how in the UK there's a lot of unemployment there, people like Spencer, yeah. people that left school at 16 without any qualifications, things are tough, but then it shows individuals like Spencer, he sort of turned it around, he's trying to get back on the path. Was he, did he have a magistrate session where he's been released and he's been... I think he got probation only, and it's not like, you know, it would have been too much if he was like, and now I've signed up for uh co- for college and i'm gonna do this it just sort of gives you a hint that he's gonna like branch off from his path of of badness <laughs> yeah it, it gives it a, a nice tie off and you can see yeah i i i liked his character he added a sort of he brought the south end the essex guy right. into this posh <laughs> bristol university where you know we saw the yeah the benedict cumberbatch right weird pummeling right punch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, at the end, he, he it's it's that movie thing where he's running after his love and there's a little bit of misdirection there when he sees Alice in the hall. And, um, you know, like you said, you, she's not a villain, so you don't want her to get too faced. But he does, you know, there is a nice little moment where she's sort of put in her place a little bit. And that's all you need. <laughs> and again, sometimes like the little guy can, who, you know, people who have been slighted in love can watch and go to Alice, uh, you know. Aha, he doesn't want you now. You're a cool right. guy, Alice, but you're not the person we want to speak to. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it is like, because this film is also a rom-com. And in a rom-com, the guy's got to get the girl or the girl's got to get the guy. And in fact, I, I read, watched an interview with um, James McAvoy and he said one of the reasons he accepted this role was he always wanted to do a rom-com. Oh, really? He was, yeah, and, and he got it. He got his rom-com. Yeah, this little small movie. It's a little bit of magic, I think. Uh, I wish it was better known. Hopefully this will put it on some more people's radar. Uh, I think it was released in the U.S. under a different title because no one here knew that Starter for 10 was a, a reference to the uh, University Challenge. Yeah, and it did really poorly in the box office, less than a couple of million dollars. Yeah. And even in the U.K., it's become like one of those sleeper cult hits over the years. Yeah, it sure. builds up the audience and it builds it up. But yet, I think it's because perhaps the cast, while they're stellar now, weren't so stellar when right. it first came out. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to go back and see little baby James McAvoy and uh, all these kind of young actors, little pudgy James Corden. <laughs> James Corden needs to tweet about this involvement because he's kept quiet. He's just like, let it be. Like, ah, oh, I didn't. Oh, really? James, he needs to, uh, James Corden, if you think he's a West Ham fan. James oh, Corden. okay. And Russell Brand is as well. So James Corden and Russell Brand, we're going to get James Corden to tweet about this film. Or okay. Because he could get a whole new audience for University Challenge. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, all right, man. Well, this is a lot of fun. Great movie. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you told me about it and had me watch it. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to talking again. 
Cheers, Jack. It's always a pleasure. And I'm, I'm, that serendipitous moment, I got a message saying, do you want to interview those Stuff You Should uh, Know podcast guys? I said, <laughs> yes, immediately. I'm awesome. so glad. So thank you. It's a pleasure. All right. Thanks, bud. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I always say that, but these conversations are a lot of fun, especially now when we're locked down in the pandemic to be able to spend some time with uh, with my buddy, Bobby, over there in the UK. He's a good guy. We're going to meet in person one day. I'm going to take him up on that soccer game. We're going to hit the pub and have a pint and talk about math. He's going to teach me some stuff. Uh, he's a good dude, and I'm glad you, uh, you checked out this episode. And uh, like I said, hopefully you watch Starter for 10. If not, uh, you can watch it on HBO Max. Very, very good, lean, 90-minute, uh, independent film, coming-of-age rom-com love story. Had a lot of fun talking about it, and Bobby's just a, a good guy. So big thanks to him. Check out Bobby's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Numbers. And you can also follow him on Twitter, uh, at Bobby underscore Seagull. And that is, as it sounds, S-E-A-G-U-L-L. Not Steven Seagal, but Bobby Seagull, everyone. The real deal. So big thanks to Bobby and thanks to you for listening and we'll see you next week. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce City Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.